Hello, you're listening to audio from First Church Butler. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit butlerfumc.com and connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at First Church Butler. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. And then they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found that just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, and there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Friends, the word of God for the people of God. Amen. So I'm a little curious. I wonder what it felt like to be Cleopas on that first Easter afternoon. What do you think it felt like to be him? I mean, 
to have set your hopes for, for national redemption on this guy from Nazareth, Jesus Christ. Remember, it was a, it was a hope that had been passed down to you from generations about Messiah. Only to have those hopes dashed by the, by the leaders of your very people. Having turned him over to the Romans to be crucified. Then, then comes these reports from the women about the place where they laid his body being empty. And angelic visions and men who had gone to the tomb and, and found that exactly as the women had said. What do you suppose he was feeling as he was walking along that road with his friend and all of a sudden this stranger comes and joins them along the road? You suppose jumbled up might have been what he was feeling as he walked along that road that day. Jumbled up. One thing's for sure. The longer they walked that road, and the more this stranger talked, the clearer the events of the past few days became for Cleopas and his friend. In fact, the more this stranger talked, the clearer history became for Cleopas and his friend. Now they come to Ephesus, where they were planning to go. And this stranger acts like he's going to continue on in his journey. But Cleopas begs him and says, no, 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 stay with us. And the stranger agrees. And they sit down there at the table. And the stranger breaks bread. And all of a sudden, the stranger isn't a stranger anymore. And Cleopas and his friend recognize Jesus. And Jesus disappears. But then, then, there's a decision point, right? Cleopas and his friend have got to decide now, what do we do? What do we do with this new revelation? What do we do with the fact that we have, in fact, just seen Jesus Christ alive? Everything about the story now hangs on what Cleopas and his friend choose to do next. Wow, that was quite an afternoon, wasn't it? I'll never read the scriptures the same way again. I'm so glad that we realized that was Jesus. Next time we see Peter, we're going to have to make sure that we tell him about this. Let's continue on with the meal past the wine. Is that what happened? Of course not. They jump up. And even though by now it is night, they walk that seven miles, probably run that seven miles back to Jerusalem. And they find the, the upper room where the, where the twelve are gathered. And when they get there, they see Everybody gathered with the news. He is risen. It is true. He has appeared to Simon. And these two add their story of having seen Jesus to the church's story 
that Easter has occurred. Resurrection has happened. Jesus Christ is alive. But it all happened at a decision point. A decision point. So we've come to the end of this series, this reset series. The series that I sensed four weeks ago that I needed to share with you. A series that needed us to call a halt in our everyday living and take a look at our lives. The life that we've been living compared to the life that we want to live. And then to come to a point and decide whether or not we want to try to make some changes in our life. Close that gap between the life that we're living and the life that we want to live. And in between there somewhere, my hope is that we've been listening to Jesus. See, I can't make this, this blanket statement about how to close the gap between the life that you're living and the life that you want to live because every one of our rat races is different. Every one of the treadmills that we're running on is a different thing. My hope is that somewhere in the last four weeks you've actually taken some time to think about your life and the life that you want to be living and to ask Jesus, how do I close that gap? But now we've come to a decision point. Because all the talking and all the planning and all the thinking and all the world isn't going to be make any difference if we actually don't do something with what we've been thinking about. It's a decision point. Kind of like, you know, when you go on vacation. I don't know if you do this or not. Are you out there? How many of you know that weight loss only happens when you stop eating as much as you have been eating? Physical fitness. Physical fitness only happens by actually going to the gym and exercising. Physical fitness doesn't happen by only writing the check for the gym membership. You don't lose, you don't get fit by just writing the check and saying, I'm a member of a gym. Doesn't happen that way. Awareness of the presence of God in your life during your everyday happens only by praying, friends not just by listening to me talk about it and agreeing that you should pray. You with me? you got to press the button. So, how do you do that? How do you actually press the reset button in your life? I'm, think about this. If you look at your life as it is, and the life that you want it to be. And let's, let's assume that somewhere in between there, Jesus maybe has suggested some changes in your life. You know, your life would be better if this happened. Your life would be better if you gave this up. Your life would be more of what you want it to be if this would change. How do you actually press that reset button? 
I'm going to suggest something that you should do that would lead to something else. Here's the thing that you should do. In all of our lives, pressing the reset button means saying yes to the course that God wants for your life. How many of you would say in this room that you really want God's course for your life? Stick your hand up. This is the interactive part. Stick you really want God's course for your life. Okay, are you ready? We're all going to say yes on three. Ready? One, two, three. Yes. There. Done. Oh, that it were that easy. But you know it's not, is it? It's not that easy. Saying yes to the course that God has for your life is not that easy. Here's what it means. Saying yes to the course that God wants for your life means that you are going to orient all of your life based upon what God says is true. It means that you are going to orient your life. That word orient means literally that you are going to align or position your life relative to what God says is true. That's what the word orient means. Align or position something based upon something else. How many of you remember a couple weeks ago, Alex preached a great sermon and referenced the North Star? Remember that? So when you get focused on what the North Star is, the North Star always faces south. Right? Come on, this is the interactive part. North Star faces where? Yeah! Not hard. The North Star always faces north. And as you get the North Star, you can, from that place, figure out where south is. And you can figure out where east is. And you can figure out where west is. You orient yourself north, and you can figure out the other directions. To chart your course, to set your course, based upon the truth of God, means that you are going to orient your life, all of your life, toward what God says is true, and you're going to take all of the rest of your life, set the course of the rest of your life based upon that orientation. Now watch this. It isn't, I'm going to set my course based upon God and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. I'm going to set the course of my life based upon what God says is true and that only. That only. Are you ready to do that? Got to ask yourself. Are you ready to do that? I'm not going to set my course based upon popular culture. I'm not going to set my course based upon horoscopes or astrology. Or anything like that. I'm going to set my course based upon what God says is true and that only. And then, 
And then you lock it in. How many of you know that when you put an address into your, into your GPS to go somewhere, it's only locked in when you press start? You got to press start. You got to lock it in. We talked last week about what you put your, in your mind matters. What you fill your mind with matters. Lock it in by what you put your mind in. By the way, who you surround yourself with also matters. To lock in God's course, that's why church matters. That's why being with the people of God matters. To set the course, saying yes to the course that God wants for your life means that you are going to orient all of your life based upon what God says is true. Every part of your life. And when you do that, watch this, that yes gives you the confidence to lovingly say no to a whole bunch of other things in your life. A whole bunch of other things. What thing? Anything else that competes with God as sovereign in your life. Right? Because if your course is set based upon the things that God says is true, then God is sovereign. God is the one who calls the shots. And you say no to anything else. And you can say that lovingly, by the way. You don't have to say it in an angry way or in a critical way. You can say no in a loving way. That's just not based, that's just not lining up with the course that I've set for my life. You can say no, watch this, you can say no to having to appease people. How many of you spend time trying to make other people happy in the decisions you make in your life? Uh huh. You don't have to worry about that. I don't have to make decisions to make other people happy because my course is set based upon what God wants me to do. And you can lovingly say no because it's not about making other people happy. It's about following the course that God has set for my life. Are you out there? You can, you can lovingly say no to, the, to feeling like you need to keep up with everybody else. Needing the, the latest thing, the best thing, the keeping up with everybody else. Because... It's about following the course of God in your life. Because the God that you are following, watch this, the God that you are following is for you. Is always for you. Is on your side. Is behind you. Is under you. Is with you. Is in you. Hallelujah. Wow. To push the reset button means to say yes to the course that God wants for your life. And that means to orient your life by everything that God says is true. And that gives you the confidence to lovingly say no to a bunch of other things in your life. Are you ready to press the reset button? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Are you going to just keep talking about it? Yeah, I know that God wants me to make some changes. Yeah, I know my life would be better if I would. Well, what's keeping you from doing that? What's keeping you from pressing the button? I think Jesus actually had a reset moment in his life. 
I think it was in the Garden of Gethsemane. All the rest of his disciples were sleeping, you know. Jesus was there by himself. He was wrestling with what was about to happen to him. He was thinking about it. He said, God, if there's any other way that we could do this, can we find some other way? Because this is going to hurt. It's going to be hard. He went away three different times. Wrestled with God about that. Finally, he came to that moment. And he said, Lord, let it be as you will. Not what I want, but what you want, God. That was the reset. That was the moment where he chose God's course for his life. And that gave him the confidence to say no to a whole bunch of other courses that were going to be forced on him in the next few hours. And you know, when we come to the table of the Lord, what do we celebrate? We come to give thanks for the fact that on that night, Jesus Christ chose God's course for his life. Hallelujah. And because he chose God's course for his life, we can choose God's course for our life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I want to challenge you when you come to the table of the Lord this morning to see that as a decision point. A moment when you could choose God's course for your life. We get off course. All of us do. You might ask me this morning, Pastor David, when was the last time you chose God's course for your life? And my response will be, what time is it? We choose God's course multiple times. Because every situation gives us the choice. Am I going to choose God's course? I'm going to choose some other course. This is a decision point. I am glad, sisters and brothers, that on this first weekend of July, I get to choose God's course for you for the sixth year. I'm glad about that. But when you come, this is a decision point, an opportunity for you to say, I've been thinking about a lot of things, Jesus. You've been challenging me on a lot of things. This is the moment. This is the moment. I am going to choose you, Jesus, and your course for my life. For the first time, maybe? For the hundredth time? Already today. But I'm going to choose your course.